0: Dr. Yosefa Fogel Rubel. This is a podcast episode brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Parshat Mayakel is the beginning of the repair Parshiot, where the Torah illustrates for us what it looks like to crawl out of our own mess and rise to the occasion, to rebuild what we had destroyed. Of course, I do not mean that the Israelites physically destroyed the Mishkan, but that they desecrated all that it stood for. When trust is broken in a relationship, it takes time, a lot of time and effort to rebuild it. In Parshiot, Truma, and Tetzaveh, the description started with furnishings and then described the building construction. But here, the order is reversed. There, the Ark was mentioned first, symbolizing the focal point of the Mishkan. But here, the pragmatics take precedence. What must practically come first is the edifice, the building. The emphasis in these chapters is both on the fulfillment of Moshe's instructions and the roles of Bezalel and Oholiyev, much more than the previous parshiot covering the same topics. We have the clear sense that just as the second set of luchot are created by human hands, so too the Mishkan's construction has been handed over to their hands. Before I introduce today's guest, I just want to remind all of our listeners that sponsoring a podcast is a wonderful way to mark any occasion. Write me at podcast at or check out the donation webpage on the Matan website or you can contact the office directly. Today, I am thrilled to welcome a new guest, Rabbanit Batya Hefter, who is the founder of Lev Nachon, Center for Transformative Torah, whose focus is to transmit the teachings of Hasidic masters into a vital ethical and spiritual path for the modern seeking Jew. She is the founding Rosh Beit Midrash of the Women's Beit Midrash of Efrat and where she served as spiritual leader and executive director for two decades. Batya just completed the manuscript of her first forthcoming book, Opening the Window, Hasidic Readings for Life, The Teachings of Rabbi Yaakov Leiner of Ishbitz Radzin. Rabbi Neitz it is an honor to have you here today.
1: Thank you, Yosefa. It's really fun to be here. I'm looking forward.
0: Before we jump into our Parsha and our modern commentator today of the Mea Shiloh, I wanted to know if you could just share a few words about this center that you have spearheaded about Lev Nihon.
1: Um, Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, First, I'd like to say a word about lev nachon. After having teaching women for many, many years, we sat down together and passed around a piece of paper. And we said, you know, this tar that you care about so much, what would you want to call it? And out of that emerged um, lev nachon, which doesn't mean a true or correct heart, but it means a heart that is aligned, meaning that every day when we wake up, we need to align our heart. We need to see where we're holding. And that became um, uh, the best description of how we felt is our avodat Hashem that we need to do every day. We need to figure out where we are. And then every day, the Torah really provides for us a path, a way of being, uh, and a way to, to, to correct and realign ourselves, whether it's in our interpersonal relationships between each other, in our workplaces, Uh, with God, with mitzvot, that it's a continuous path. And that sort of opens up towards the type of work and teaching, um, the way in which I would like to be focusing my work in teaching Torah, um, which I think that the Hasidic masters, particularly Hasidut Ishpitz Redzin, offer us a path to be able to um, align ourselves. So that's kind of the the big adol. The center itself right now is... um, is mostly online courses and also uh, teachings in in and Jewish uh, meditative practices, um, and also uh, we 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 do meet occasionally together. And Bezrat Hashem, I hope that that will uh, develop. Uh, it's being expanded and developed at this time.
0: We've had a few episodes in this series on on modern commentators where we've sort of explored some of the modern more modern Hasiduyot. Uh, or the Chassidus that have been so, been studied more, right? There's this great, um, this great colliding of worlds in the world we have today, that on one hand, you know, the the introspection of the self, which has come from like a world of individualism, which of course was not the birthplace of Chassidut, Um, but those kind of texts that are so internal and so honest have really sort of combined in this beautiful way with uh, with a lot of the modern tides of the world. It's sort of like this perfect storm that's uh, that's yeah. been created. And uh, I'm curious if you could also tell us a little bit about... Uh, about the Meashilach, we heard, we heard about his son uh, two weeks ago, but I'd love to hear more about him, maybe a little bit also why he's studied less or thought of sometimes as being pretty revolutionary, or that you have to have a certain degree of maturity, whether it's uh, spiritual or, 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 or theological, in order to, uh, to open up his works and be able to actually appreciate them.
1: Wow. So this is a good opportunity to be able to speak about Reb Mordechai Yosef. Um, I've been carrying around his book uh, (laughs) for 40 years. I don't go anyplace without his book. Even when I climbed to the top of Kilimanjaro, I took his book uh, with me. Um, I want to respond first to the whole notion about what you said about individualism and the reason why I would say Polish Hasidut, of which Reb Mordechai Yosef was a part, was, was an intellectual revolution within the Hasidic world. Um, for that, people can look at Alan Brill's *Thinking God*, where he does a beautiful job um, exploring that and describing the differences. Um, here, the Rebbe was not a, you know, a, a magic figure who gave out bl- blessings or a conduit to a *Kaddish Baruch Hu, which, to a certain extent, absolved you of your personal responsibility. Um, on the contrary, the, Rebbe, the the position of the Rebbe was to inspire with each individual to find their own unique path, precisely because that's the only way in which you can do avodat Hashem. The firm belief that a person has a nefesh, the kol chad ve'chad, each individual has a tzelem elokim, and that their own tzelem elokim is chelek elo'o ma ma'al mamash, a portion of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, was believed in the most profound way, that each person has to find their own individual path, and therefore this collection and group of, um, I would say, both intellectual and spiritual seekers, their relationship with the Rebbe is the Rebbe would reflect within them what it is that they all need to do in their own personal path. And I think that's why, as I understand it, the, the Ishbitz masters, um, the Mashiloch, the founder of the Ishbitz Razin dynasty, are so crucial today. Um, 40 years ago, you couldn't find his book. I found mm-hmm. his book. I have four different volumes, I have four different Madurot of his book. It, they, they. I found it in a, a skinny volume of the Meshulach in a back shelf of Liechtenstein and Holder forty years ago, and now you, now you can find you can find their books. And No one had heard of Rabbi Yaakov and had found them. They were only in in, in that dynasty, and now it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. So their time has come. Um, so that's kind of in the, the this intellectual revolution of Paulus Hasidut. A, a word about Rabbi Yaakov. I'm sorry about Reb Mordechai Yosef. Mordechai um, Yosef Leiner was born in 1800. Um, there's disputes. 1800, 1801 died in 1854 in the town of Tomashev. Um and he's the founder of the Ishpitz dynasty. Uh, he was the Talmid of Reb Simcha Bunim of Pshischa, um, and subsequently, upon his death, um, Rebbe Menachem Mendel of Kutsk. Um Now, the Reb Simcha Bunim said about the Mehashiloach that his waters flow slowly but penetrate to the deepest depths, and that's why his book is called the Mehashilach. Um, in 1939, there was a public falling out between him and the Kotzker, and Reb Marder um left to form his own circle. Um, that particular, you know, that the details of that abrupt, his abruptly leaving his teacher and the famous enigmatic Kotzker Rebbe, and uh, to find his own court can be read in uh, All, All in the Hands of Heavens by Morris Feuerstein, and in Oro Wiskin's book, The Wisdom of the Heart. Um, his main Talmidim, were Rebbe Yehuda Leib Eiger, his, his grandson was Rebbe Akiva Eiger, um, Rav Tzedakah Cohen of Lublin, and his son Rebbe Yaakov Leiner. Um, his, his grandson, Rebbe Gershon Chanukhenech, is the one who actually wrote down and published the works um, in these two slim volumes known as the Me'ashulach. I also remember when I had my time really appreciating and learning the ideas of Rav Hertner. I, I noticed that, that uh, many of the ideas in Rav Huttner were actually almost direct quotes from, from the Mashulach, al- although um, the Mashulach's works are not credited in, in um, Rav Huttner. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, Reb Mordechai Yosef received a lot of attention due to what was considered to be the radical nature of his teachings regarding free will and sin. The statement, all is in the hands of God, even the fear of God, led many people to incorrectly think that he believed ultimately that individuals are absolved of responsibility for their sinful actions. Um, this is not the place to get involved with that. Mm-hmm. But um, frankly, I, I think that that's much less interesting than the value of exposing um, the deepest textual, psychological, and spiritual insights that, that he has to offer on the Torah and how that can become a Derech I just want to take just one moment to... To describe the goals of his book, um, the Mashulach, and um, in the introduction of his book, uh, it's written that um, again beyond all of you know teaching Pshat and Drash and and on all the different aspects of Torah, he says this: "Ech kol divrei Torah shayachim lechol adam befrat." What it is that I want to teach and show is that how all of the words of the Torah are shayach. Are sh- the word shayach is very interesting. It doesn't just mean belong to each individual, but they are of you, they are a part of you, they are about they're about your being, how they are shayach to you. adam, um, eh, right? All of the events in the Torah really speaking about you know the mythical layers of existence, that they are part of your being. ולכל אדם ועובדים על כל נפש בכל and these are a part of us in every single generation וממנה ניקח so this is a bit of is a shift as an orientation um, of how it is that we need to, to relate and experience Torah um, and finally I just want to say a word also in the introduction what he says about the goal um, that the goal of Torah um what I would say the, I just say something, the hidden teachings of the Torah, the idea isn't that they're, you know, mysterious and mystical and magical in any kind of way. It just means they're hidden from your consciousness. Mm-hmm. It simply just means they're 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 out of the realm of what you understand. And what is beyond the realm of what we understand, we call choshech. And that's how they relate to the choshech. There's the choshech and the or. There's what's outside of the realms of your consciousness and awareness. And there's what's in and the... And avodat Hashem is to expand your perception. So his, what he writes is that his goal was to lacharbitz Torah leRabim, ad shalamad v'hivin v'limed data talmidim sheyavinu divrei Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai v'haArisal komo she'mevinim pshutay divrei Halacha. His goal was that people would become so familiar. Um, he would cultivate and build a structure so it becomes so clear that you could understand these things as you would understand and about that it just reminds me of one other thing important for people to know um i think what's extraordinary about the mashulach and the reason why people i think gravitate towards it he doesn't use kabbalistic jargon and basically what he does is he explains the hidden ideas through the narrative so that you can see, I gave a course for many years, 10 years, called Pshat and Beyond. I used to hide the Hasidic masters and said, oh, everyone wants to hear what's the Pshat. So I said Pshat and Beyond. Take people from what they know, what's familiar to them, and little by little take them step by step, as the Madras does also, and bring them to the deeper layers and understanding so they can slowly see a progression from the Pshat to the deeper meaning. So that's very, very often, I think, what happens in the Meshulach and i hope that our conversation today will be an example uh, of that
0: i have a lot of thoughts as you're as you're speaking but i guess the the only one i'll share for now is that something that sort of speaks to what we spoke about before we started recording which is that we really we really need both of those sides meaning today we live in a world where there's obviously there's still a very strong rational element that exists in our world, whether it's you know evidence-based medicine, which I'll use just as like a catchphrase, and then you have so many people who are walking around with an awareness that there's so much of the world that's present that we can't see. And I feel that you know the world, for all different reasons, has come to a place, right? There's many people walking around, whether that's what they also believe about their own personal health, or that's also meaning they're interested really in what's behind the psukim and less sort of in what the psukim are saying in front of them, and that ultimately, There needs to be sort of this wedding of these two and so you have many people who were as you would say shot oriented people who at a certain point said wait a minute i'm definitely definitely missing something meaning i'm here and i'm getting a certain level but i need to add another level and by that same token there are people walking around who i'm just going to keep it in the torah world we're not going to talk about health that's Mm -hmm. a different podcast maybe one Mm -hmm. day i'll do but Mm -hmm. in the torah world where the chasidut can sometimes be felt that it's not with depth because it's not necessarily being anchored properly, either in the world that it's coming from and the text itself, or also. I'm just going to go back to where that we said before we started recording, mm-hmm. in like the rigor that the that the drasha is really working with, meaning that there's so many layers of and knowledge that a person is sort of assumed to have before they're walking in and to read the quote-unquote walking in to read this drasha. That I think that the wedding of those two is really important for for both the limud of psukim and you know that which is is revealed or known in the world uh, can be appreciated and also for the for the quote unquote hidden or that which we're not yet conscious of can also feel that it's anchored in something that is strong and that has strong foundations.
1: Um. So Yosef, I'm really glad that you brought that up. I, I would say I, I've dedicated my life's work really to trying to wed those two, meaning I'm fully aware that for at least in the traditional community that are familiar with texts, there's a certain suspicious, uh, sometimes even of Hasidic texts. And then some people who want to see, you know, the, they want to see how it's built and how it's structured. Um, so first of all, it's just important to understand that, that the depths of Hasidic texts really can only be understood and cracked open. Um, the assumption being that we understand pshat, that we understand that we've read the Midrashim, um, that we understand They were halacha, Talmudic masters. They were, they were <laughs> Talmudic hachamim. Yes. Um, that they, that the assumption is that one understands and is involved and engaged in the world of halacha um, in, in Talmudic discourse. Um, and then there's also a whole structure of of i would say language in um kabbalistic discourse which they translated into more accessible terminology certainly dameshi per se and rubyakov moved out of that jargon and and translated it more into i would say um, existential language and shared those ideas through literary devices Hmm. so yeah all of that is assumed when you approach their texts which is it gives that there's tremendous layers and depth in what they're saying. They don't always explain it all, Mm -hmm. so one has to go mining to figure it out.
0: Okay, so why don't we jump into this week's Parsha? Okay, you take us into wherever that feels right for the arc of this conversation.
1: So in Parsha Dvayakel, there's a very interesting mm-hmm. verb that I really would like to bring some of our attention to. And it has to do with the appointment of Betzalel. Why is the appointment of Betzalel so important? It's clear that he's singled out in a, in a particular way. And when God speaks to Moshe, he says to him, Re'eh, karati b'shem. Uri, Ben ruach Now, Re'eh is it an unusual verb? Um, see that, uh, you see that I have called upon Bitzalel. Uh, and then we have the same thing when God then speaks. Moshe speaks directly to the people, asking the people to see that God has chosen Bitzalel. And the question that it brings me to ask uh, is why does the Torah use the language re'e in re'u? Why doesn't it say, as it might say in other places, or just simply karati Right? what 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 is this indicating? Um, and moreover, uh, Re'e is an, it's an imperative; it's a command to see something. Um, now, I, I notice that also in Parshat trumah Moshe himself has this problem, um, where it says in in Parshat trumah in uh, in Shmot Kaf Hey Pasuk Mem Re'e ve'aseh betavnitam E'bahar. Right? God says to him, "See that, uh, see see the structure which I have shown you on the har." And um, on the mountain, and in that, um, Rashi himself says, what do you mean? Re'ev a'aseh. Re'e k'an bahar tav'nit ani mar otcha magid. She nitkashem Moshe b'maseh ha there was something that Moshe didn't understand. So that we have that unusual word, re'eh, also by Moshe. That he didn't see, he didn't understand something, and God had to show it to him. There was this like this additional, there's something unclear, something that he didn't understand. Um, so I guess my, my first question about this was, what 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 is this doing here? Why why do we need, why do we need um, I'll just uh, add one more layer, if that's okay, that
0: uh, that where it says re karati b'shem which uh, is in. In Poshat so it's interesting because the paragraph right after that's when they have this shattering, right? That they see things. Meaning first it has this here's this viewing, here's another leader. We're gonna shine us we're gonna shine a spotlight on somebody else who's not moshe. And then a paragraph later, obviously not immediately after, but a paragraph later, we have the people realizing that uh, that Moshe isn't here and he's gone. And so I feel like in theory, this is not a podcast on Kisisa, we already Mm. did that. But the presentation of Betzalel was supposed to even in theory be this understanding that there are going to be multiple leaders who will be in the limelight of Am Yisrael um, and that's something for so many reasons that the people weren't able to see, right? They were just having their eyes on Moshe and that led them to to be very confused. So I just wanted to add in that one more place where we see this verb of Vayar, which isn't always necessarily a significant verb, but I think mm-hmm. in this case, it very likely is that there's something in their vision, in their way that they're looking at the reality that got them into big trouble when it came to Chate Egel. And this whole process that they're going through is going to, physically they have to build a new structure perhaps if you're going according to the Ramban and not Rashi and mm-hmm. the Machloket mm-hmm. mm-hmm. but also that they have to they have to start seeing things differently and that's going to be their whole journey in the desert of having to mm-hmm. view their leaders differently and to solely view themselves differently and to be able to see themselves as agents of their own life and not just recipients of of uh, of something grand um, so just drawing out that idea, also. Yeah, no,
1: that's um, that's that's really spot on because I think what's what's being brought up here is is can you how do, how do we cultivate. How do we cultivate a way of being, a way of seeing? And that's also why I think that these ideas are so contemporary and so modern. Particularly, where we live in a we live in a time where uh, I think you know the the way of thinking on the road is that everything is subjective, per- perception is completely subjective, as mm-hmm. if there's nothing objective out there. Um, you know, in, in a religious context, we understand that there is uh, we, we we assume that there is something objective out there to be had. Um, but those of us who tend to be more modern uh, in our thinking, we understand that we all have a different a different lens and a different way of seeing mm-hmm. and I think that the particular teaching that I want to bring today the mashallah is talking about is really the, the question behind it is can we cultivate can we cultivate a spiritual consciousness can we cultivate a way of seeing um so that that's what's behind it about the ru see see um the the medrash uh, in the Tanhuma actually uh, speaks about um, it, it talks about Moshe is, is misjudged. M- Moshe is misjudged by the people. Um, and there seems to be no indication, really, although you've mentioned it a bit in Parshah Kittisa also, why would they misjudge him, and why would the Medrash include that piece of information here where it doesn't seem to be so warranted? And um, the Medrash in the Tachuma says, Vayomer El Ben R'u Karah um, without reading the whole midrash, The whole midrash basically says that uh, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, after God tells him all of the details, he says, okay, well, who's going to make all of this? And he thinks he's going to make it because he says, V'asita, V'asita, V'asita. He thinks he's going to make it. And God says, R'a, k- karah no, it's not going to be you. It's going to be B'tzalel. B'tzalel, who is B'tzalel, right? B'tzalel is the... He is the, he is the, um, the shadow of a Baruch Hu. And you could say in some sense and he'd be able to reflect as accurately as possible some ephemeral aspect of a Baruch Hu. That's a unique quality of Bitzalel. And then when Moshe Rabbeinu comes down from the mountain, um, he, he tells them all about this. And they say, who's going to make this? Uh, who's going to make this Mishkan? Um, and he says, uh, it's going to be Bitzalel. And the Medrash then, um, imagines in the Midrashic imagination, they they imagine the people are all um, rebelling against Moshe, accusing him of nepotism. You know, you, cho- you chose Aharon HaKohen to be the Kohen Gadol and you gave his children to be the Kohanim and you have um, Elazar who is the Nasi and now you're picking uh, Bitzalel is Miriam's great-great-grandson. It's all in the family. Um, and in, in here in the midrash has Moshe Rabbeinu saying you know it's first of all it's just so painful it's like Moshe Rabbeinu is the most misunderstood figure he's he's certainly the most misunderstood and the most unappreciated leader in the Torah, and um he comes forward and he says Ruh! and so here there's a there's a bakasha here there's a request it's transformed from a um a you could say an imperative um, but you almost like a request. See, can't you see? And the medrash brings in v'adam, that Moshe Rabbeinu, in this sense, desires to not be um, appreciated by only by Hashem, but that the people should be able to to see. So that's the first um, push forward of how of how the Midrash, um opens up this see. Um, and and I asked myself the question: Why? Um, why? What What is the value of such a reading? Right, the medrash is not recording history about what happened. The medrash mm-hmm. is, you know, what what what's the agenda? So, you know, on the one hand, it has an ethical agenda that Moshe Rabbeinu wants to somehow have the people see the truth. But beyond that, what's standing behind that is, what, what is the value of such a reading? Um, uh, to to which I, I I see again and again in, in midrash and in Midrash Hazal we're um, really emphasizing. Um, you know external uh, external impressions and internal realities that there's there's an incongruence between these two realities of life there's what's going on on the outside the appear the world of appearances the world of judgment and the world of appearances and there's a deeper reality to be seen and to be perceived but this narrow-minded way of viewing doesn't allow them to see past these appearances so that's that's the first push of the rau of what um
0: there's something so ironic about the fact that Moshe is the one who, you know, is so deeply misunderstood <laughs> Meaning on one hand, it's obvious because he's such a deep He's of our, he's our deepest figure, right? He has the highest level of He's attained the highest level of spirituality So of course no one else is going to really understand who Moshe is they can't possibly understand what that means I can't grasp that on the other hand it's also interesting and here the Midrash brings it in but of course it appears in the B'sukim as well in the story of Korach and, and otherwise it's also bringing up to my mind you know uh, uh, Shmuel when he's very insulted about the fact that Am Yisrael wants a king and he says I, I never took anything from anybody that you have leaders who even though they are on this high level of connection with God are still very disturbed by the fact that the people do not perceive them properly meaning they're disturbed by the gap and the disparity between what the people are able to perceive and what they really know they are and so it sort of speaks to this um sort of like this this rift in communication Uh, and I'm not even sure that the people possess that ability but I guess I find it also um I don't know surprising but it's it's uh, it's it's tragic because then is just said, you know, no one gets me and that's the price of the, all the <laughs> leaders who who always feel alone, right? Because you are sitting at a different space, you're occupying a different space and the people can't really possibly get you. Um, I don't know, this midrash, you know, really threw me straight to the Korah story also because the complaint of the midrash here is as
1: well that you're keeping it within the family. Um, sure, Lama So that's again also part of like, how is it that the Midrash could possibly make this suggestion? Well, we have it throughout Sefer Bamidbar. Yeah. The most unappreciated, misunderstood person is Moshe Rabbeinu. Not only by Korach, where it says exactly this claim, Lama Titz al Why do you raise yourself above everyone else? But also very sadly, uh, Miriam and Aharon also said, you know, Rach Dib'er. Right? God also spoke to us. Um, there's also over there is an extraordinary mashilach, absolutely extraordinary mashiyach, where because, so to speak, Moshe and, and Miriam sin in that they don't understand the difference between themselves and Moshe Rabbeinu. So there's an extraordinary mashiyach which says, "Ada um, bo, I see. I actually, I don't speak to him through chidot. I don't speak to him indirectly. To Moshe Rabbeinu, I speak to him directly." Now, you could say, of oh, what good of help is that? To tell them that. If it's intellectual information, it doesn't help them. It's actually quite related to this text also. Over there, Moshe Rabbeinu actually, um, God comes and then says to them, he allows them to see when he says, adaber bo, with Moshe, I don't speak to him bichidot, right, through riddles. I speak to him directly. Pet el pet adaber bo, and at that moment, when God says to them adaber bo, He allows them to experience how Moshe experiences God. Mm. So it's mind-blowing because, and that's what the Hasidus is about. Hasidus is not about telling you information about spirituality. It's about trying to bring you in, trying to unpack it, trying to allow you to experience that. And the pain of Moshe is he doesn't want to give them information. He doesn't want to say, God picked B'tzalel. He's the one who has the, the qualities. He wants them to see, ooh, I want you to be able to experience. And, that, and that's where we're going to be headed here. He wants mm-hmm. to try to help them experience what he knows always to be true. And so that's, that's the loneliness that you're speaking about. The loneliness is that is, is that is that Moshe Rabbeinu and the spiritual figures who are so connected live in a reality where you could say the divine reality is apparent to them. And that is clear to them. That's panim el panim, right? As you mentioned at the end of at the end of the Torah, uh, lo kam navi od im Hashem panim panim. Moshe Rabbeinu speaks to Hashem panim el panim. And there we also have the, the power in Parsha Ki that Moshe Rabbeinu has. We'll speak about that a bit a bit later. He's karan or panav, and he has a masveh, Right. His, his face is luminous, and he's not even aware of it, and the people are terrified to approach him, so he has to put on his face a masveh. He has to has to hide his face. Um, in some sense, Moshe Rabbeinu's face is hidden, and, and his, his his presence is hidden. His divine qualities are hidden from the people because if they were able to perceive his divine qualities, they would never be able to say to him, it's only because Moshe Rabbeinu's Interior divine qualities are hidden from them that they could possibly accuse him of nepotism. So, where I'd like to take you is the Mashulah picks up on Midrash, but then he takes it a step further. And it's that step deeper and further where, where I'd like to share with you. And, and what the Meash wants to do is he says, Reu, I want you to be able to see, meaning I would like to cultivate within you. In this particular case, it's an artistic ability. But we're, the deeper thing we're talking about is to be able to cultivate a be ability to be able to see beyond appearances. And he says specifically, um, Im tis klube If you could please only look. If you can look, b'ayin tovah, you could say with a kind eye, You'll be able to see that God's will is who. Although there are many artisans, you'll be able to see that you know, he's the main singer on the stage. Right? It's like he's not part of the chorus, right? So um, he, he is the real master artisan. And then he actually brings up an example. He he wants he says I want to be able to see you. I want you to be able to see the chen and the tiferet. I want you to be able to see the beauty, the glory. It's something ephemeral. It's something you can't put your, put your fingers on. But he says if I actually pick up two tapestries, and well, he continues to say uh, that they're identical. You so say, what's the difference between them? This one has the same amount of strings. That one has the same amount of strings. This one has the same colors. This one has the same amount of colors. I don't see the difference. right? But, but Moshe Rabbeinu is, is urging them to be able to see beyond appearances. And this is something we struggle with. This is something you can only gesture towards. And the language that he uses that perhaps gives some um, concrete, some, some, some degree of tangible way in which we can grasp this, he's calling it an ayin tova. And he's calling it a lashon havana she tavino. Now, an an ayin tovah as opposed to tsarut ayin. Tsarut ayin is generally, you know, we use use these terms very often in, in ethical sensibilities, unless in, in spiritual sensibilities. Although that there overlap. But uh, a tsarut ayin would be, I see things only from my narrow perspective. And I'm sure that what I see is correct because that's what I, that's how I perceive or that's why I'm suffering. I can't see past that. And then the, the, the tovat ayin then is, is, is gesturing past, although I may experience and understand things and line it up this way, it requires, the tovat ayin requires an extension of chesed, that there's something that I... I am aware that I don't grasp the full picture, and there's something else out there to be had, and that requires havana she'tavino They have to extend to a certain extent. They have to extend Moshe Rabbeinu some They have to extend them. They have to come to a place of havana. Now, the lashon of bina is um, is a quality which is davar davar. we use in Halachek language, that things somehow make sense. One has to be able to see the intricacies. So one has to see that there's a certain coherent, a coherent whole. That's what understanding is. I take all of the specific details and somehow it coheres. Hav bina is is that there is something bigger that's holding all of the parts. And it is that intangible quality of it's holding all of the parts which is, I would say, the that is the you'll, as you see in a moment. That, that's the that's the God quality that's hidden um, in 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 the chokhmah and the bina that a invested within Betzalel or is able to perceive in Betzalel that Betzalel would be able to weave, so to speak, into these tapestries. Um, now these are very um, you know one can easily say you know what are you talking about? This is the same as this. I don't see the difference. Right. But, but someone who has that ability, has to cultivate that facility can say, oh, my, wow, I, I, I really didn't know, you know, it, it's, 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 it's a chavaya, a sense of beauty, a sense of well, it's actually fascinating also because Tiferet is also the Mida of Emet. And, and that's also not, maybe beyond the scope here of our work, but it's very, very important because Yudke Vavke, God's name is associated with Tiferet. And I think it's something people often don't understand. Uh, Elokim is associated with Deen, but Yudkevavke is associated with Tiferet and beauty because when everything makes sense, mm. right? It's a, when when it's not just law in terms of Deen. It's a, a bigger and broader coherent picture, which in some sense only a Kaddish Baruch Hu has. But there's a, a whole coherence. And when that happens, there is a, you know, somewhat of an oh, aha experience that one, one acknowledges um, a certain hitgalut of that which is hidden, which, become, which appears at that moment. And that's what Moshe is trying to help them see that.
0: So just a a few things that are are coming up. So first of all, I just want to go back for a minute to the pasuk to make sure that all of our listeners, uh, if they're also a tabula rasa like I am in the world of Hasidut, to make (laughs) sure that they put something together, which is that on a simple reading of Ree Karati V'Shem B'Tse'el Ben Uri, in a simple reading, I, I haven't read it, but I'm sure probably Kasuto says it's sort of. And here he is presenting Betzalel, right? Like it's Correct. almost like a, a bringing mm-hmm. him in. But what what the Me'ashilach or you know, sorry, the Tanhuma really begins is saying that Re'e doesn't mean. And here is the guy who's going to do it, but it means you can learn to perceive. You can gain a skill of 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 perception of beauty through this through this person. And so it's just reading that word entirely differently but it's also reading what El is supposed to sort of represent for the people by seeing it. Meaning he is supposed or, or why to... why he was chosen. Or why he was chosen. He's supposed to be able to help them acquire a different kind of vision that they didn't have before. Now as you're speaking about the word Re'eh, so it's sending me to two places and there are two places that are connected. Okay, okay. So one of them is Vayal Hashem Kitov. Okay, okay meaning in the creation of the world, and that's you know whenever I teach that, I, it's not an ethical judgment. God does not need to judge whether or not His son, uh, sorry, the sun is, uh, or the moon, or the glass or the grass are good or bad. That's not what the word means. It can't mean that, but it means exactly what you're saying. Meaning God does this thing because we're eventually supposed to do that ourselves. Or at the end of the day, He looks around and says, "This coheres." everything is in its right place. And for people to be able to come to that kind of perspective takes a lot of work, meaning we notice disharmony and cacophony mm. before we're able to see things that cohere. Now, it appropriately sends me, and this I promise this connects to what we're saying, to, okay. to Yocheved, because she says, she mm. sees, the, and it's supposed to be an allusion to the story of the creation, because there's multiple allusions there sure. to the creation stories. And... She sees that her son Moshe is Kitov. The Midrash hits the nail on the head and and says that she perceived in him that he was unique, meaning it's that exact ability to see beyond what is physically representational. Because you have Parshanim who say, What did she see? I think it was Shadal who says, he was a really great baby, meaning he was really well behaved, or right? Meaning Vayal yeah. Kitov, she was able to hide him. No, because it makes sense. She's able to hide him because he didn't cry, because he was really easy, because he was born a preemie. If we're gonna mix in some other other things that are said there, but One of the Mitrashim says is that she saw that he was unique, right? She saw that there was something about him that needed to be saved. And I'll just end this thread by saying that recently I was speaking to someone about my kids and I feel that one of the things that is like the gift of having multiple slash many children is that if you work on it, you start honing in on all these skills that, oh my goodness, as a first time or second time mother, I did not have them. But like... My son was born, and I said, "This is a child with so much chin." I mean, you just literally—I like, couldn't look at him and not see it. There was like a mitikut about him. Now, my children are wonderful; they're—they're they're great, they're strong. All my children have totally different personalities, but there was a sweetness about him that I did have never seen on other children of mine. And I said to someone, "I said, yeah, don't, don't you see that? Meaning, it, it's right there." And I'm like, what are you—what ta- are you talking about? I see big eyes. I see someone. I see a baby who's <laughs> no. so cute. And I said, "No, no, but it's." It's right there. Mm-hmm. and that's what you're talking about, I think. you're speaking about cre- it being able to sort of click in to other levels of perception that we often have to cultivate. There are some people that are born with really you know profound amounts of perception and can see and connect to so many layers. but a lot of us work on sort of being able to see those those kinds of layers of the world,
1: yeah, I I really agree with um everything that you're sharing but i would i would make one adjustment in terms of it's not just that there's another mode of perception it is the essence of perception Hmm. it is it is the heart of perception and then i'll just give a plug because i think that the masters are at the heart of what the chara is yes of course it also means presenting But is that what the Torah comes to teach us? Presenting Mm -hmm. Bitzalel, that's a reasonable shot reading but it is not the depth of what the torah has to offer us that's not the answer to what i opened up with is that call chayav that kol each person as an individual has to ask of themselves what is the torah teaching me today and right now why is it shayach lekol adam veadam right why is the torah teaching me something right now that i need for myself and for my life and when you're talking about the ketov and the ketov yes that's how the torah talks to itself right so that the that the essence of the tov, the 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 tov of the world for which God created is, 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 is manifest in, in the personality of Moshe. Um, but I want to come back now to, to um, something very important about Moshe, which is the inyan of the masveh, and um, the, the veil, Moshe Rabbeinu's veil. And, and with that also, the Meshiloch wants to say more, not just that I want you to see betzalel ba'Ain Tova. but there's actually something much, much deeper and, and, and really the pain of the world here is that not only do the people not, are not able to see B'tzalel, he says, right. Also Moshe Rabbeinu, they couldn't see Moshe Rabbeinu, right? They perceived him incorrectly. They couldn't see the, the beauty, the Hadar, which was hidden um, in Moshe Rabbeinu. And moreover, in some sense, you're going to see they can't see God in the world. That's the real the real thing is that they can't see Hashem in the world. Um, And here I'd like to just come for a moment as an extraordinary drasha, I'm not a big fan of Gematrio. Um, I understand some people find them interesting, some people find them, you know, irritating, Um, but we do have a sort of Gematrio. What's interesting about it is really more the concept less than the, you know, numerical um, formulations. Um, Although one one does need to respect that we do have a we do have a sort of it. And here he says something fascinating. Now, um, I want to just remind us in, in Parshat Kitisa, um, we, we have in the end of, of Parshat Kitisa, Moshe Rabbeinu, as we know, um, puts on his face. He comes down from the mountain, and his face is Karan or panav, and people were afraid to approach him. Um, and then in Perik Lamedalid Dalid, e Pasuk e Lamed Gimel, we have vayachal Moshe medaber itam, vayiten al panav Masveh. After he's speaking to the people, he places upon his face a masve, a veil. Ubevo Moshe lifnei Hashem ledeberitov v'yisir tam masve. When Moshe Rabbeinu comes to speak to God, he removes the veil ad um, seeto until he leaves the Mishkan. V'yetzev v'yadaber b'nei Yisrael asher itzuvah, and all of the people ver Now they see. Yisrael et p'nei Moshe karan or p'nei Moshe. And now the people see. At this moment, somehow the veil was removed and they can see the luminous face of Moshe. Moshe tamasvel panav. Ad And he replaced this veil. So I want to speak for a moment about this veil. Um, and this is a, just a very general, important concept in Hasidut, which is called livushim. Um, in English, we might call it Garbing. Right now, now, veils and garment and clothing are very important. Um, clothing, clothing and a veil um, both reveal and conceal. I mean, I think particularly in, in the religious world, uh, we use clothing hopefully in an a modest and appropriate way, both to be able to appear in the world appropriately, both to reveal ourselves as we wish to identify and reveal ourselves, and also to conceal ourselves. So it has this double meaning uh, um, of clothing, of veiling, which is to reveal and conceal. And here there's an extraordinary gematria which sees that the word masveh, which is veil, um, is the combination of yudke vavke, Hashem's personal, intimate, Hidden name and Shem Elokecha. Okay, I, I'm not going to go through the math with you unless you want me to. <laughs> a, it's okay. So it's this combination we'll trust of you. hey, you'll trust me on the Masveh. The the, the mem he is the is uh, is Yud ke vav ke, and the Samech Vav is Elokecha. Hmm. But what's interesting is what they're trying to say that the Masveh is a combination, both conceptually and numerically coded. Mm. Right? It is conceptually a a combination of yudke vavke that which is hidden right the hidden inner meaning which is concealed but it somehow is coherent and elokecha now elokecha is likened onto it's people know that elokecha is midatadim, but also as you just said in the first parak in bereshit you only have Elokeim nature that is the aspect of god which is revealed yeah,
0: the universal the aspects.
1: universal aspect of god or the even the physical aspect of god which is revealed the question is also you could say can one see HaKadosh Baruch Hu being misdater? He said, God's veil is nature. Right? Nature is God's veil. And the question is, Reu, Karah Hashem B'Shem B'Tzalel. What he's asking is not only, "Ru, see B'Tzalel. Can you see the beauty? Can you see the coherence and the gifts and the divine qualities of the B'Tzalel? Reu, can you see me? Not only that, of course, I'm, you know, he's to, of course, he's ethical, ethically pure, but can you see the divinity, the beauty, the lechavod which also resides within Moshe Rabbeinu? Can you see that? And most importantly, when Moshe Rabbeinu is trying to get them to do, which he says, Somebody who is able to cultivate within themselves a, 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 a kind eye, could see Moshe in the depths of, of who he is. Um, but I wanted to finish the thought that what Moshe Rabbeinu wants to do is to cultivate within the people the ability to be able to see God hiding behind things in the world. Um, What it reminds me of is uh, many times as I was running the Beit Midrash and bringing in many different people to to teach, and there were people who I had tremendous amount of respect for. Um, And as painful as it is to say, Moshe Rabbeinu, he didn't have charisma. The charisma was Aharon Hakohen. He can speak directly to a kaddish baruchu, but he couldn't speak to the people, mm-hmm. um, right? Aharon Hakohen, yet yeah, you know Aharon Hakohen will will speak for you. Um, so Moshe Rabbeinu's. Hadar, his beauty was inside, it was internal, it was hidden. And those people who had enough capacity to be able to see it had the awe and the fear of Moshe. They always saw it, and perhaps Yoshua and Aharon. But most people just, they didn't see it. It was like, you know, cholef over. Maybe at the moment we see in Parshat Kitisa, they were overwhelmed and they had fear. But once the masveh went on, they couldn't see past appearances. And what it reminds me of in the Beit Midrash, of there were precious, precious, wise deep people who I wanted to bring to come to speak to people and 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 very often I, I I would have to prompt everyone and say you know you really this is someone you really need to hear um, but you have to make an effort you have to incline your ear mm-hmm. I would say that goes back also to Moshe Rabbeinu the beginning of the Sneh it says Vayar ot, that Moshe Rabbeinu was chosen by God because God because Moshe Rabbeinu chose to see mm-hmm. right Moshe Rabbeinu yeah. there's a beautiful midrash that says Ike yeah. Right? He he twisted his neck. And I would say that in order for us to be able to learn Torah, in order for us to be able to see the depth of what's hidden behind the veil, which very often appears to just be a veil of appearances, we have to take tremendous efforts to be able to see beyond that veil. We have to twist our neck and we'll be able to, to, to see beyond the appearances. Um, and and, and uh, so in that particular context, I, I remember feeling... Um, you know, quite frustrated and sad at times that I would bring such extraordinary people and, and people uh, didn't always have the ability to, to hear and appreciate um, the depths of, of, of some really great thinkers. Um, and then I think the question that brings us to where I opened up, is this something Moshe Rabbeinu, can we cultivate a spiritual awareness? Can we, and I, I think it's an important question. And as you'd mentioned before, that maybe, you know, people are always interested in, you know, experience. I'm talking about things that are deep and layered. And um, of course, it comes with uh, it comes with um, responsibility and obligations. And, and it, it is not something that can come without all of that depth. But those are questions that I think we need to, to ask ourselves. And I think that this particular teaching, certainly, I would say the is reading Moshe Rabbeinu as a Rebbe. No, the Moshe Rabbeinu is the Rebbe, and he's trying to get the people to see, Ra'u, See, can you please see? See past, past the veil. Um, see, you know, the, the veil with both conceals and reveals. Um, and, and I would say that, that we, we live in a world, um, our reality is, is a world of the veil. Uh, our reality is the world of a veil. We can just see the details, which are disconnected, which are on the sechel, which is, and that also goes to another thing that you'd mentioned earlier, which I, I would just like to mention also. Hasidus are not anti-rational. Uh, certainly not this type of not all, It's not only anti-rational. It just means that there, there is a limit to what our reason can grasp. And, and reason is crucial and important the ability to understand words and to go through the text and to be uh, particular and specific. And, but that is only a piece of the picture. And um, what's important here is that the details have to be in the service of the whole. Elokim and the details has to be in the service of yudke, vavke, not the opposite. They are in a hierarchy. And one takes precedence over the other. And the, the is actually, I would say, the same thing as in a relationship. Of course, in a relationship, you know, you get married because you're devoted and because you love someone. And there's all of the details of life are crucial and important. But the, the relationship is, is, is what holds the, that's the glue that holds everything together and it has to be nurtured. And so too, our relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, the details and the halacha has to be in the service of, of Hashem. It can't replace Hashem. And I think that this is what the Me'ha Shiloh is, is, is gesturing towards um, through Moshe Rabbeinu. I think it's a fantastic shot reading. I, I very often say that, that I think the masters are shot, And the Me'ha Shiloh, I think very often, and the Beit Yaakov Odyatar Amok, shot, They bring us to the deepest depths of the. That's why it's called Me'ha The waters are slow and they go deep. And they bring us to, to the deepest places of, of existential meaning and religious experience, um, which, we, which we need to, to maintain and, and deepen um, our relationship with, with Hashem and the Kanesh Baruch And uh, we walk around with this masveh uh, always. And hopefully, we can be able to see past, past the, the masveh, through the masveh, with the masveh. We're not disregarding the details. We have them.
0: That particular episode of the Masvet is one of those places where even if you're a really shot oriented learner and you don't have another layer in there, it's one of those places there's a whole bunch of them in the Torah where you are just totally at a loss for what to do with it. Meaning I I've like as a as a fun sort of uh Exercise. I like looked at a few different sort of like modern commentaries on this episode in a, when I was preparing something for a class I was teaching. And I was like, wow, that really falls short. Meaning it's one of these moments where even if you're not like a deep mm-hmm. Hasidic learner, mm-hmm. you really got to go there. Meaning you got to start at the Midrash and then you got to keep going because it's simply not something that the disciplines of rational thinking are going to have the language to understand it. So that's also just a call in general. Meaning, and I speak to myself as someone who loves, right? I love the world of... Academic Tanakh study and, and Pshat study, but you always have to know when you've reached your limits and when those skills. You know, you're saying don't stop there. You can't stop there. You have to go to the penimut. And I'm saying even for someone who wants to stop there, there are just some places where there is no right, language right. to Nothing. describe. So you have to go to a different kind of discipline. And and as you're you're speaking about the the Ayin Tovah, I guess I was thinking sort of in a practical way because you're speaking about Ayin Tovah that they have to be able to see deeper, they have to be able to see deeper layers. And I feel like as I'm imagining it when you're speaking, I'm thinking of like a panoramic vision of to see broader and then to see deeper. Why do I say that? Because I find a lot of times that the way, one of the first ways that you can start accessing like a deeper understanding certainly of people and then of the world is first by broadening your perspective of who they are. Like whenever I Mm -hmm. have a hard time with somebody, I'm always like, I got to have a one-on-one conversation Mm. with them. This happens to me sometimes with students, I'll be honest. And and then I find that when I sit with them one-on-one, it's always way better afterwards because I'm a one-on-one kind of person, but also because because I understand them in their context and then and then immediately I start um, I'm feel softer towards them and the thing that might have rubbed me the wrong way, you know, doesn't anymore. And then i gain respect because I realize that them coming here doing that thing is so out of their comfort zone and it just shifts the entire perspective. So To me, that's like a first layer of Ayin Tova is to like broaden your perspective of whatever you're seeing, see it in its context, understand it more. And that can like open up the gateway into seeing something also in a deeper way. It's not in place of going deep as we've been describing, Mm -hmm. but I feel like sometimes it's almost just like a practical way to be able to start connecting with something that feels far beyond our reach is to sort of broaden the way we see it so that we can then maybe even access it from a different access point because the ones that are that are visible are sort of repelling or uninteresting, but then we can get it from a different a different angle. Uh, i don't know if any of that was clear but no that's,
1: no, that's beautiful <laughs> I, it really really speaks to me it, it's yes i don't mean to actually i'm not sure you know deep might. these are all you know we exchange one word for another you know yeah. deep could be broad and that brings us to a broader a broader understanding what you're bringing me to is actually the why i called my book opening the window i was debating to call it like expand your lens i wasn't sure how to translate it but that's because i was i Unbelievably impacted by Rabbi Yaakov's teaching, where he says, Adam which just blew me away. Mm-hmm. That our avoda, the way in which we serve Hashem, is by understanding that the way that we perceive reality is really limited, and all of our avoda is just about expanding our lens. It's just about seeing things in a broader place. So what that means is that when you sit down and have that conversation and you have that ayin tova to say, you know what? I wasn't having such a good feeling. I need to expand my lens. And you have that encounter. That's a real encounter. Yeah. There's there's nothing to take away from that. We don't need to like have spirituality somehow belong to something which, which doesn't belong to uh, to our world and our daily happenings, I, I think it's a it's a beautiful, practical, real um, example of how of how we we constantly expand that lens, um, and 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 that's what um, and that's what's being suggested here in terms of ru.
0: It's been a pleasure to have you here, and thank you for expanding our lens and our ability to both see verses that might have seemed simple uh, at the start and to be able to start seeing the, the layers that are underneath them. Thank oh, you. Thank you, Josefa. It's been a lot of fun. you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this week's episode from Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. If you would like to sponsor an episode, please contact the Matan office or email me at podcast.matan.org.il. Please do us and all women's Torah learning a favor and share this episode with all of your friends and family.